Well, uh, I guess unexpectedly he asked me to do this. <laughs> so I uh, was not quite, quite prepared for that, but I know God is prepared for everything good. And he has given us his spirit to guide our thoughts. And uh, I have to think of a similar situation I faced when I was in Africa on a Monday morning where people from different church affiliations came together for a prayer meeting. And I just went with my friend there and uh, expected that I won't be saying anything. I'll be just listening and praying. So then I was given opportunity to say something. So the word that came to me and right from the start was what Jesus said, as I hear, I speak. And uh, that is a good way we have to hear from God and speak that which we hear from him. And um, we heard um, in the song, one of the songs uh, was referred uh, from uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It said, he that has begun a good work in you shall complete it. And uh, we're living in a time of great religious chaos, confusion, and people differing from one another about many things so that uh, if you don't have some foundation to build on, you get really shook up. Now, what is our foundation? Right here. This is the Bible, God's Word. There are those who want to claim that uh, now that we have the Holy Spirit, that is above God's Word, and uh, we hear from the Holy Spirit, we don't have to look in here. Well, can you picture, can you picture the chaos that would come out of that? Uh, there's an older brother who said something that was a, a good word to meet my heart. Uh, I believe what he said is correct, and I, because I could relate to what he was experiencing. He said, if it would only be one spirit that would always speak to us, the Holy Spirit, if that would be the only spirit that would ever speak to us, everything would always be clear. Hmm. But he said that's just not the case. We have evil spirits trying to portray them, trying to portray themselves as from God trying to teach us things that are not correct. Jesus was one who encountered that when he was in the wilderness. He said to uh, Jesus, when he was hungry, he said, he said uh, if you are the Son of God, 
first thing he did was try, try to get Jesus to question his sonship. If you are the son of God, command these stones. That's a good challenge. Okay, prove yourself now. If you're the son of God, make these stones bread, right? But Jesus, where did he turn? Here. The word of God. He said, it is written, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so he tried him again, and Jesus responded back again, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God, when he said, throw yourself down from the pinnacles of the temple. Then he was offering him the whole world and its riches and its glory. Uh, if he worships, falls down and worships him. And he said, uh, it is written, thou shalt worship God and him alone shall you serve. So the devil left him. We have to combat Satan with scripture. And how can we do that in a better way than surrendering first of all our heart our mind, our all, to Jesus Christ to cleanse us and free us and give us the Holy Spirit to guide us. And then we need to daily, I believe it's very critical, very important, even though if we think we know God's Word, we know what is written here, we know what's written there, read it every day. Read it and read it and read it all your life. I believe that's very important because it refreshes, like Peter said, I do not, I, do, I want to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. You know, we need to be reminded again and again and again what God's Word says because we have people who come and say, oh, we don't, we don't need that. We don't need that. We have the Holy Spirit now. We just listen to the Spirit, you know, somehow, I, you know. And uh, so there's a word written in, uh, in John, 1 John 5, that I got last evening that in connection with some things Ann and I were talking about. By the way, Anna, Anna is a good support for me. Uh, when we get together, we talk about God's Word and encourage one another and talk about some of the things that we are faced in life with what people say, this and that and the other thing, and it's not correct. But then I asked God to give me a word, and uh, this is what it was in chapter 5 of verse it's, he gave me verse 14, but I read in verse 13 first. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal... I think, I think I'm in the wrong chapter here, maybe. <laughs> I think it was in 14, maybe. You mean chapter 4, you mean? Okay. You mean by this we know... Do you remember where it was? Four and five. It was in verse three, four and five. Okay, thank you, Anna. I guess, you know, old age is creeping up on me. 
Not only you. Okay, there it is. That's what I want. Uh, no. Chapter 5, verse 3, 4, and 5. Huh? Chapter 5, verse 3, 4, and 5. Oh. Okay. Yes. Every spirit that confesses... No, that's chapter 5. Okay. I'm, in, I'm again in the wrong place. <laughs> For this is the love of... Three, four, five. Yeah. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. I, when I read that, I stopped right there. Mm. I said, where do we find God's commandments? When we sit here and waiting for the Spirit to reveal it to us? Is that how we learn God's commandments? We find it by reading God's word. You know, there's a scripture that also came to me in conjunction with this and it said, all scripture is given by inspiration from God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect and truly furnished unto all good works. So, um, the Spirit brings God's Word to mind, right? He doesn't come with some kind of commandment that isn't written in God's Word. He doesn't uh, counteract God's Word. The Spirit is one with God's Word. It makes God's Word living to us. It helps us to live God's Word by listening to the Holy Spirit. And in uh, Romans 8, there's a word that says, If God be for us, who can be against us? If we live for Jesus and we honor his word, uh, there's some place in Psalm, I think Ann and I talked about that too, some place in Psalms where it says that he holds his word above his name. So, and... Uh, we are called not only to be forgiven people, but people to come to come to live God's word. And that uh, happens when what does who can think of a scripture that uh, I could <coughs> give that confirms that uh, by being obedient to God, continually, continually living in faith, we will come to do God's will. We will be able to come to overcome everything that is of the flesh. Well, if you read Colossians chapter, I think in chapter 1, Colossians 1, What, what happens to humanity, to, to believers in most cases, is that they try and they try and they try and they try to overcome something, right? We try. We have sinful lusts in our flesh. We have sinful desires in our flesh. We are emotional beings. 
We want, we want, we want. What we want, when we want it. <laughs> so, um, but it doesn't come. But when we, when we have to deal with God, we have to wait on Him. It's not the harder I want, the better I do. It's waiting on Him to do His work in me. So, um, and uh, I'll just read beginning in verse 21. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind, by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Well, you know, some people don't feel like they've ever been in that place. But unless we're born again and translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, we have been living in wicked works, in unbelief and in darkness. But he says, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Is that done only by being under the blood? Is that the only thing that makes us unblameable and unreprovable in his sight while I'm going here getting angry and snapping at my wife and children and, and I'm uh, maybe, maybe you could say at that moment when I receive Christ as my Savior and have faith in the blood of Jesus, all of a sudden there I stand holy before God, right? I'm reconciled to God. I'm accepted with God. But what about the next day, the next day, the next day, and the next day, and the next day when I have to do with my wife, my children, my neighbors, and, and all my situations that happen to me and my emotions and feelings go up and down and I act still quite quite literally like a human being like before. There has to be a work done in us. We have to come to hate the way we are. We get to see more and more the depths of our nature, how corrupt it is. And then we have to <coughs> do what it says here. He said, I, I just read, un, being made holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Then there's an if. And that if is where people come short. They don't continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and move, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. My hope was, when I start out, if, I, if Jesus comes in, I'm going to be a new person. I'm not going to behave like I used to. I'm going to be a godly man. But now I find my nature still there. But I have a Holy Spirit to point out what's wrong more in detail. And I keep pressing on. I keep calling on Jesus. Help me, Lord. And like my brother told me, why do I still see you act like you do? if we can have victory over sin. He said, the only thing we can ever hope for is forgiveness. I said, I can't tell you why I still act like this, but I'm not going to pull down God's commandments and his word to my level of experience. I'm pressing on to reach his calling over my life. Amen. 
And I have not been put to shame about that either. It is true, if we continue in the faith, grounded and settled, not moved away from the hope of the gospel, my hope is to be an overcomer like Jesus was an overcomer. There are, there are many, many Christians, I believe, have lived ever since the gospel was first preached until this day, who have fallen short and have lost hope and gave up and said, it's not working. It's just not working for me. Why? Because we're human beings like we want something instantly. We don't want to suffer for reaching something. We don't want to be humiliated. We don't want to feel uh, incomplete. You know, we want to, like, like uh, uh, one place I think it talks about, uh, we don't like to be naked. We don't want to be <laughs> seen for what we are, you know. <laughs> so, but... We have to go the same way Jesus went. But what I was going to say, I believe there's many, many believers. What Jesus said in, in Revelations chapter 3, the last verse, if he that overcomes as I overcame, will sit with me in my throne as I am sat down with my father in his throne. I believe there's very few who will sit with Jesus on his throne. I don't mean there are very, very few that, won't that will make it there, but the overcomers, as Jesus overcame, will be few. He is a merciful God. He forgives sin. He, I believe there's many people there who it reads about in chapter 7, a multitude that no man could number who stood before the throne uh, with palms in their hands. These are washed in the blood of the Lamb. But there are few, I believe, who will sit with Jesus on his throne. And John and James wanted to be one on one side and one on the left side. But he said, you, are you able to drink of the cup that I will drink? They said, we're able. And he said, you will drink of that cup. But to t say you will have the right to, it's not my right to give you, it's not mine to give you to have one on the right hand and one on the left, but it will be given to whom it is prepared for. But what I'm wanting to uh, encourage us all Run as though only one wins the prize. That's what the scripture says. Don't look, well, I'm as good as Ron, I think I'm going to make it. Or I'm as good as this brother, Ben. Uh, no, try, try to keep your vision on Jesus. Look straight ahead. Press on for the goal for yourself. It's very, very important because our life here on earth will end. It's like Ron said at Katie's funeral. She lived here 82 years, but eternity is forever. That is what we have to keep our eyes fixed on. When we 
when we see that and we feel our nakedness to a sense, we're not like, I want to be God, have mercy on me and help me. He will. He will reach out to us. But there's something we have to go through. We, we don't want to suffer. We don't want to do the right things that are painful. But we have to go through the painful things to get to an overcoming life. So I just, I will leave it like that. May God help us to be faithful to him. And I'll give it to Robin out or whatever he has to share. God bless us all. Amen. I was thinking about when you were saying about running the race. And when uh, they have horses in a race, if you notice, they put these things at the side. If you ever watch a horse race, they have these things on the sides of their head. Yeah. And it's so that they don't look at the other horses in the race, <laughs> unless they're in front of them, of course. And they better look at it. <laughs> but yeah. they don't look sideways. They can't see the horses when they're in a close race. They can't see what's going on around them. And they just, the only thing they can do is look to the finish line. They just look straight ahead to the finish line. Yeah. And it's kind of like what Dan was saying, you know, we have to look straight ahead to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. <clears throat> I'm glad I had Dan start today because it it uh, fits with what I wanted to share today. I believe God put on my heart this week as I was meditating on some things in the Word. And uh, <clears throat> in the book of Deuteronomy, it makes some things very clear. For the first covenant, there's blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. You read it in Deuteronomy 26 and Deuteronomy 28. And it just goes this long list. These are all the blessings that have come upon the children of Israel. Upon you if you do what I, if you obey my commandments. And it goes through this long thing. Blessed are you, blessed will you be in the field, blessed will you be in the there's all these blessings. And when it's done, it says after that, and these are all the curses that have come upon you. If you don't do what I tell you, all these commandments, and curse you be in the field, curse you be in the city, curse you, it's all these curses upon you. The New Testament, the New Covenant, as we read in the book of Jeremiah, would not be like the covenant that God gave to Moses on Sinai. But one of the things that we see is that there is still a call to follow the Lord. Yeah. And there's still a call to obey our Lord. He's still Lord. And we look at it perhaps in a little bit different light because we're looking at it through a new covenant. But there's, there's some things that we want to look at today in the New Testament that will be a help to us, I think. And the first one is in the book of Acts. Chapter 5, this is when the church had begun and the apostles were preaching the word. In chapter 5, I believe it's verse 17, verses 17 to 33. And then the high priest rose up. And all those who were with him, which in the sect of the Sadducees, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them 
in the common prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the Lord all the words, speak to the people all of the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with, the, with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. And when he had brought them, he set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this, in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be the Prince and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we, and we are his witnesses to these things, and so also in the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Mm -hmm. Don't you love Peter's boldness here? It's a different man, isn't it? And this is the second time they're brought before the Sanhedrin, the same court that uh, condemned Jesus to death. And when they're brought before the, after the, this, their, this whole ordeal that happens, they're brought before the Sanhedrin. And the high priest says, didn't we strictly command you not to speak in this man's name? He says, with your teaching, intend to bring this man blood on us. You hear at Jesus' trial when they, he was before Pilate. Pilate said, "I am innocent of this man's blood." And the answer from the from the priests and the people was, uh, "His blood be upon us and upon our children." Mm. And upon and, and and indeed it was within the generation what happened to Jerusalem within that generation was the end of Israel and the end of Jerusalem as it was known at that time. But <laughs> he's saying you're intending to bring his blood upon us. No, they brought it upon themselves. And Peter's answer is we have to obey God rather than men. And this is a very important statement that Peter makes because as much as we are told to obey authorities, the Israelites were commanded to obey the high priest and everything, but there's a higher authorities than presidents and high priests and, and, and governors and policemen and everything else. We're to obey all them, 
but above all to obey the obey God and to obey His word above all. And Peter went on to say, "You murdered him, and that he is the Savior." To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, and we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. What a powerful statement he makes there. The Holy Spirit isn't given to everybody. It's given to those who believe the message, and as we see here, it says, and to those who obey him. Faith is something that happens in the heart. You believe the message, and then you respond to the message. When you believe that someone is your Lord, you believe that you must do what He tells you. He's Savior and He's Lord. Everybody wants to be saved. Nobody wants to go to hell. There's a lot of people who believe there's a hell and don't want to go there. And they may accept some things about Jesus, but they, do they accept and believe He is their Lord? Do we believe He is our Lord, our Master? Jesus said in the Gospel, Why do you call me Lord and don't do the things I tell you or don't obey me? And so, I said, well, this can be a hard message, but there's hope in this message too. And there's help in this message. In the in the book of Philippians, chapter two, it says, "Work out your own fear, your own salvation, with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you to do and to will of His good pleasure." Yeah. We are we are not on a on a lonely mission. We are not on a solo mission. God has given us His Holy Spirit. To strengthen us, to help us, to guide us, to teach us. How can we lose? We won't lose. We follow him. Jesus said, follow me. He who follows me will not be in darkness, but have the light of life. We follow him. We follow. He's our Lord. He's our shepherd. My sheep follow me. They hear my voice. They follow me. It is a respect as Dan was going through today, the respect for what he said. Respect for the words of Jesus and those who he appointed to be his apostles. And you hear an apostle here who boldly proclaiming faith in Jesus and following and obeying his lordship. And he says, he gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. He said, well, isn't that legalism? Doesn't Peter know that? <laughs> of course he knows it. But he knows that true faith is a faith which believes in the Lordship of Jesus, that he is Lord, and we follow him and we obey him. Jesus calls, him into a, calls us into a relationship with him as we follow him. And he gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. And this message is not just to the unbeliever. It's not just to the religion, dead religion. This message is to us, who are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Yeah. So I've been asking God to fill me with the Holy Spirit, but it's going nowhere fast. <coughs> I've felt that way sometimes, and I've heard others say that. I feel like I'm not getting anywhere. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, I don't feel full of the Holy Spirit. I don't feel close to God. John the Baptist says he gives the Holy Spirit without measure. Jesus gives the Holy Spirit without measure. God gives the Holy Spirit without measure. Jesus talked about it being like a river of living water flowing through us. But if we're walking in the flesh, if we're walking in rebellion, if we're walking in compromise, if we're obeying men rather than God, if we're serving money instead of God, if we're confused, if we're, too, if we're walking in two different directions at one time, you see that as we our submission to God is very important when it comes to being filled with the Spirit. Yeah. It's not the only thing, but it's a very important thing. He gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey Him. These are not my words. These are the words of Peter, through the, under the influence, and as he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he speaks, and this is what he says. We read often in Galatians five where it says, "Walk in the Spirit." And you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and its lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You see, there's decisions that we have to make as a Christian. We desire revival. We desire to be filled with the Spirit. We desire the anointing of God. We desire the gifts of the Spirit. There's so many things that we have desires about. But it doesn't seem to be going anywhere fast. Why? We have to examine ourselves. I'm not pointing my finger at anybody except the man in the mirror. But each of us has to take account of ourselves. Examine ourselves, as Paul says. And see what's going on. And so, <clears throat> I read with where Dan was reading from, and this wasn't anything I'd written down, but it pretty much spoke about what, what I'm talking about here. In 1 John uh, 5, it says in verse 1, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves Him who begot also loves Him who is begotten of Him. This talks about loving God and loving our brethren. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? In the old, old covenant. He says it's to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And this is the whole law. And obeying God is summed up in this, Jesus said. It's centered about love. And boy, does that make us feel uncomfortable when we think about that. Because we all have had our unloving days, unloving moments. Do we love God? Oh yeah, we lo I love God. But do, we, but do we love God? The way he's talking about it. Verse 2, but by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. He's saying the same thing again, isn't he? Yeah. And this is verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. And whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. <clears throat> 
You see, it starts with faith. It talks about loving God and obey, obey, obeying God because we love Him. And then it talks about faith again. Because they're interconnected. The Bible says faith works by love. And you see the two working together in this passage here. And he, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? It starts out with that, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. In verse 5, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. It overcomes the flesh. It overcomes the devil. Faith in what? Faith in the blood of Jesus. Faith in Christ. Faith in His Word. It overcomes every obstacle that comes at us. See, Dan talked about victory, being an overcomer, being victorious from the Word of God. He who overcomes, Jesus said. Who is he who overcomes the world? He who has faith in Jesus. Faith in the blood. To empower us. To forgive us. To have a right relationship with God. To have peace with God. To win. To win the race. Faith from beginning to end. And there we can be someone who believes this message to some degree, but is bound in fear. In bondage, fear of death, fear of life, fear of everything, anxiety, the lust of the flesh, Dan mentioned this morning. How do we overcome those things? And Jesus said, which, uh, Jesus was asked, which shall we do to do the works of God? And his answer was, this is the work of God, to believe in him whom he sent. Jesus, to believe in Him. That the answer is in the blood of Jesus. The answer is on Calvary, the cross. It's still the answer 2,000 years later. And here we are today. And the answer hasn't changed. The message hasn't changed. Victory in Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. And submission to Him in all things. It is God who is working in us to do His will. God is at work in us to do His will, to do His pleasure. And what comes up against that? Our will and our pleasure. The influence of the world, the influence of the devil. Crucify them. Those who are Christ crucify these things. And that's what we have to do. That's what the Holy Spirit tells us. It's the Holy Spirit's teaching us. We go from here to Romans 6. Romans 6, uh, verses 15 to 18. What then? So we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. 
Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Mm-hmm. Obeying the teaching that was delivered to them. And Jesus was told the apostles in the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples. Preach the gospel, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe and obey all things whatsoever I have commanded you. The recognition and the teaching of the Lordship of Jesus, the Holy Spirit confirms it over and over and over again. And... We go from there to, to verses, uh, same chapter, verses 20 to 23. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in, these, in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves to God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Before we were in Christ, we were slaves of sin. Now, he says, we're slaves of righteousness. And he says, we have been set free from sin, become servants or slaves of God, the children of God. So I don't feel set free. You know, people say, oh, I got this sin. I can't stop doing it. I can't stop losing my temper. I can't stop doing this. I can't stop doing that. You have to believe the message. The message says we are set free. No matter what our flesh tells us, no matter what the enemy tells us, what are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to our flesh? Are we going to listen to the enemy? Are we going to listen to what God's saying? He says we have been set free. But we won't be free if we don't believe it. The message of the cross says freedom, liberty. In the book of Galatians, earlier in chapter 5, it says, it is for liberty that Christ set us free. Freedom. Only don't use your freedom as an occasion to serve the flesh. We've been free. But we walk in that freedom when we believe in that freedom. When we believe this message in these areas that we've been told about. This is the doctrine that's been delivered to us. This is the teaching that we've received from Christ and from his apostles. It says, before we were slaves to sin, but now we have obeyed from the heart the teaching, the form of teaching that was delivered to us. We obey from the heart. It's not a show anymore. It's not a show. We obey it from the heart. And we begin to see, as we look at the New Testament, as well as the Old, that the heart 
is the heart of the message. The heart is the heart of the message. As we go to John chapter 14, we begin to see, as Jesus explains this to us, John 14, and he says, let's see, where shall we start here? Uh, verses 12 uh, to verse uh, 18. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to, the, to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit given to us. We're not orphans. We're not left alone to, to serve God and to obey God in our own strength. God is at work in us. He is in us and at work in us. He's not just at work in us. He is in us, as we read here. If we have been born of the Spirit, He lives in us. And He is at work in us as He lives in us. And you see that, He says, If you love me, keep my commandments. He says, anyone who believes in him, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater. Now, people always read this, and the first thing we think of is, oh, the miracles of Jesus, I'm going to do it because I believe in Jesus. But that's not exactly what he says. He says, the works that I do. The way he lived. We read in 1 John, we were in earlier, it says, those who say, that they know him should walk as he walked, as Jesus walked. And we read that also in Peter's letter, where he says that Jesus gave an example that we should walk in his footsteps, walk in the way he walked. It says it in Philippians chapter 2. It says that Jesus set an example for us Hold my finger there and just remind myself of exactly how it's worded. Give me a second here. Let each of you, it says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. 
that each of you look out not only for his own interest, but the interest of others, and let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. All being in the form of God, it says in verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the form of to the point of death, even death of the cross. The same mind as Jesus, putting others before ourselves. Jesus' obedience was because he was obeying God, he loved the Father, and he was doing it for us. He put our interests before his. How does one do that? To put others' interests before our own. To consider others, you know, let, let us esteem others better than ourselves. How does that happen? It's a work of God. That's just not natural. This is the mind of God. This is the mind of Christ. And it comes as we hear Him and follow Him and believe on Him. This can look so overwhelming. Oh, how can I ever do this? Until we remember it is God who lives in us. It is God who is at work in us. His Spirit's in us. His Spirit's, His Spirit's in us. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it, Jesus said. And if you love me, keep my commandments. This is a different kind of outlook. It's mentioned in the Old Testament. To love God with all your heart and soul, mind and strength. But it kind of is overshadowed by all the blessings and cursings. The blessings if you obey, and this is, this is all the stuff that's going to happen if you don't obey me. So it's kind of, it can be lost in the shuffle of the old covenant, but it's brought out front and center in the new covenant. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And we love him because he first loved us. Jesus' love for us, his cross, motivates us, it compels us says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The love of Christ compels us. It motivates us. And our love for Jesus, he says, love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. Above everything else, yes, we should fear God, and we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, all these things are true. But he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. A motivation that's very important. For doing things because we have to, it's different if we do them because we love somebody. If we're taking care of somebody because we have to, it's a lot different than taking care of them because we love them. If we're serving others because we have to, because God says to do that, God says we got to love everybody else, it's different than if we do it because we love them. <clears throat> the Ephesian church in the book of Revelation, you see the problem that Jesus addressed, the first of the seven letters to the seven churches. He said, you're doing... You're following my teaching, you're doing a lot of things right, he says, but you left your first love. Jesus 
told us what is our first love should be. He says, if anyone loves his mother, father, sister, brother, anybody else more than me, he's not worthy of me. The love of Jesus is shed abroad in our hearts. Yes. And it's there. He's given us an appreciation, a love for him. And that should be our new motivation. The new covenant, the new motivation. If you love me, keep my commandments. We have never met Jesus physically face to face yet. We will. Every one of us will. But we believe in him. We believe he's real. We believe he's alive. We believe that he lives in us. We believe the message. Now he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And we'll live inside of you. Father and I will come and live inside of you. Make our home inside of you. Make our home in you. If you love me, keep my commandments. In verse 23, verses 23 and 20 um, to 27, verses 23 to 27, same chapter, John 14. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Mm. God's peace, God's help, His Spirit working in us, teaching us, guiding us. The love of God in our hearts. And it's a response of love. He loves us and we respond. We didn't first love Him, He first loved us. It's demonstrated in the cross, but it's demonstrated every day in all the ways he helps us if we, our eyes are open to it. In all his provision for us. In all the promises he's given to us who are his children. I talked to someone who's not following the Lord right now, backslidden, and I asked this person, I said, well, this person was angry with God, and I said, well, when you were following the Lord and doing what He told you, I said, why did you do it? Because you had to? Or because you loved Him? Because I had to! Well, there's, what the, there's, there's a disconnect there. Jesus says, He who does not love me does not keep my words. We can put on a form of obedience, a form of obeying Christ. But it's a matter of the heart. He loves us. Do we see that He loves us? Do we believe in His love for us? Because that's how we respond in love in return. They're connected. If you love, He who loves me 
he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. Although this may sound offensive to some, there's a message in it that goes down into the heart. You see what happened when Peter, (laughs) when he was in front of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he said that God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. They prided themselves in obeying God. You love me. They didn't love Jesus. Peter said, yeah, you murdered him. <laughs> you murdered the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Lord, the Lord of heaven. You murdered him. You didn't love him. You say you're obeying on God, you don't even know him. You were standing right in front of you, you didn't know him. You killed him. You murdered him. Jesus said, if you love me. And so we have to examine the motives of our heart. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why, why, are we, why are we obeying the words of God? Why are we doing all this? The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But there's more. There's more than just the fear of God. It's the love of God. Our love for God. And His love for us. We respond to His love for us. We only see... We're doing things because of his judgment and, and everything, and that's legalism. It doesn't work. We'll end up with frustration. And we get beat up that way. We only see the commandments of God and the judgment of God, but we don't see the love of God for us. How can we love somebody... We always see as fire and judgment and brimstone. We see we love him because he first loved us and gave his gave his life for us. He gave his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Could I add one word to that? You see, I'm hoping that anybody wants to got some uh, time. I just thought about this. As a key to know why, what robs people from loving God. I want to share a word that is clear about that. And uh, if you don't love God, this is why. This is exactly why. If Dan Beecher doesn't love God, it's because of his problem. And uh, John. First John, chapter two. Um, he says in verse fifteen. Uh, it really hit me when I thought about this. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's pretty simple, isn't it? If I love the world, then I'm robbed from loving God. Why? Because if I love the world, I want to go after what I love. But if only one thing I want to go after, and that is to do God's will, then I'll love God. Because he will help me do his will. And that is a simple key to understand. 